Welcome to the Coalition for Physician Wellbeing's podcast, The Wellbeing Connector, where through our guests, we explore ideas for making healthcare a better place to work and serve. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Today, I'm pleased to welcome the psychologist, Dr. David Rosmarin. David is an associate professor at Harvard Medical School and the director of McLean's Hospital Spirituality and Mental Health Program. He has innovated several methods of integrating spirituality into evidence-based mental health treatments, and he is a well-cited researcher in this area who has authored over 90 peer-reviewed publications. Dr. Rosmarin's clinical and academic work have been featured in Scientific American, the Boston Globe, the Wall Street Journal, and the New York Times. Well, thank you, David, for joining us today. Thanks for having me on the show. Very excited to have you here. Now, I I know as as a... a researcher and a psychologist at McLean Hospital, your work isn't uh, focused on physician re- uh, well-being, but I know your work has uh, relevance to our audience. But I think it would be nice to start by just talking about a little bit about what your what your work and research is, and in particular, uh, tell us a little bit about what you call spirit. Sure. So uh, I uh, have a innovative program at McLean Hospital. Uh, which is a freestanding psychiatric hospital here in uh, eastern Massachusetts. And uh, the program is called the Spirituality and Mental Health Program. And uh, McLean uh, recognizes that uh, for many individuals going through mental health concerns, that uh, spiritual and religious aspects of their lives um, can be important resources. They also can be uh, forms or sources of stress, and they can shape the, uh, the, the way that symptoms are expressed. So my program um, innovates methods to help clinicians deal with this because it's not usually the kind of thing that tra- clinicians are trained in how to how to handle, um, and also doing uh, research in uh, uh, exploring how spiritual and religious variables relate to mental health and uh, its treatment. So how do you uh, advise people to incorporate spirituality into treatment? Uh, well, that's what SPIRIT was about. SPIRIT is an acronym for Spiritual Psychotherapy for Inpatient, Residential, and Intensive Treatment, S-P-I-R-I-T. And it's a program that we developed here at McLean. And I developed it in one of the units and then it expanded to another unit. And then the next thing I know, we uh, received some grant funding to be able to uh, disseminate and evaluate um, it on uh, units throughout the hospital. Um, so we ended up testing it uh, through uh, over the course of a, a full calendar year uh, on 12 different units. 22 different clinicians were trained in how to do spirit, and we had over 1,500 patients who uh, participated in it over the course of that period. And when for a physician who's, or a clinician who's trained in it, um, what does it involve? I mean, how does it compare it to uh, classical uh, treatments? Yeah, forms of psychotherapy. Yeah. The main, you know, the, what I'd like to think about is spirituality as a domain of life like any other. And uh, uh, just like we would uh, be able to explore patients' uh, um, marriage and family life or their work life or their community life or any aspect of their life, so too spirituality should be part of the discussion when it's relevant to patients. And that's what spirit is about. It's just giving clinicians tools to be able to ask patients. So the first part of the group, we ask this is a group psychotherapy program, I should mention, because it's for acute psychiatric settings. Usually psychotherapy is a group, not individual. And uh, 
the, we ask patients to, to explore and think about how is their spirituality relevant to their to their symptoms? How is it? Is it a resource? Is it a source of strain? Does it affect their expression? And we facilitate a group discussion about that. And patients love it. They, in many many cases, it's the first time ever that in their psychiatric treatment they've been able to raise the subject of spirituality for discussion. Wonderful. And so, um, what kind of what what have been the consequences when they raise it up? How does it affect them? It's a good question. Um, it's always hard to know in psychotherapy what are the active ingredients, but often just having a place to be able to explore spiritual matters it gives validity to them and it helps patients to recognize that this could be something that they could help or it could be an area in which they're struggling. And either way, it's important for patients to talk about that and to speak about it. And uh, in, in the classical therapy, it tends not to happen. So how have been, That's what's correct. been the response of the uh, providers who you've trained? Providers, yeah. The providers have resonated, have, have done very well. It's resonated very well with providers. It's really a facet of diversity. You know, we, we need to be able to to treat the whole patient, the whole individual, and aspects of them that might or might not can be uh, congruent with how we see the world and how we in, in, interface and, and exist. Um, so to, to those ends, uh, we've had uh, clinicians come in who either were of a spiritual background or were not from a spiritual background. We've had a fairly diverse, even ethnically uh, uh, diverse, uh, racially diverse group of clinicians and also different uh, di disciplines, whether it's psychiatry or psychology or, or mental health counseling or, or social work. Um, and uh, clinicians have, have really found it worthwhile to have uh, opportunities to, and scaffolding, uh, what I mean by that is resources, to be able to explore spiritual masters with their patients. So it seems like a great idea, and it seems like just a natural, um, just one-way area of the, uh, of the patient's lives. Um, the patients seem to like it, and the providers seem to like it. So why hasn't this happened sooner? That's a great question. There's a lot of historical context when it comes to spirituality and psychotherapy, when it comes to the world of psychiatry and, uh, and its, its attitudes towards religion and spirituality in general. Um, I think it goes back to Freud. Um, and uh, Freud, who was virulently anti-religious, in fact, one of the reasons he split off from Carl Jung was because Carl Jung, uh, uh, his thinking was very spiritual in nature, and, and Freud was decisively not. And I think that those um, themes um, really permeated the field in, in, in multiple ways. One is just giving providers a sense that spirituality is either, you know, uh, at best a waste of time and at worst a form of psychopathology or delusion or neurosis. And uh, the other thing is that because of those attitudes, uh, we see a huge disparity between the levels of religion and spirituality that the providers have in psychiatry and psychology for that matter, and those of the patients who come to the practice, because practices, the latter being far more spiritually and religiously inclined. The patients being much more spiritually inclined than the uh, clinicians. Much more, correct, substantially more. Uh, psychiatrists are among the least religious of all medical professionals, uh, and psychologists are similarly, if not more, uh, irreligious, uh, where it's absent from their lives. So how has it been for the uh, the therapists who are not religious providing, uh, uh, bringing up spirituality? It's interesting. You know, th those those uh, trends that I was speaking about have shifted, and I was speaking more about them in the historical context for the greater part of the, well, uh, 20th century. It, it, since the turn of the millennium, things have changed a little bit. Actually, I'd say quite a bit. There's a lot more openness 
to spirituality. There's a lot more open-mindedness about it. There's a lot more of a sense that we have to also treat the whole patient and understand aspects of diversity, whether they are or are not, um, you know, consistent with who we, who we are as clinicians. And all of those trends are definitely making the field more more open to um, exploring patient spirituality, um, and spirit is an outgrowth of that. So I, I've, I've heard about you through your recent Scientific American article, and in there you mentioned that um, the non-religious providers in some ways were more effective than the religious providers in providing this, uh, this type of therapy. Can you speak to that at all? Yes, we had a bit of a surprising finding, which is that our, our just as you said, the uh, clinicians who had no spiritual or religious affiliation actually the, the patients receiving spirit from them did a little bit better. Now, just to clarify, the patients receiving spirit from religious providers still enjoy the group and they still, they still uh, receive benefit from the group, but it was higher for the clinicians who were, uh, who were non-religious. Um, in terms of why that is, uh, we've actually uh, just received a revise and resubmit a decision on a paper, which is exploring that very question within our data set. It seems that the non-religious clinicians are more likely to use dialectical behavior therapy approaches. For those who are not familiar, dialectical behavior therapy is uh, predicated on the concept of, of mindfulness and uh, the, the notion that um, people need to accept where they are and also simultaneously while striving to change. And people who use that general psychological, say, I should say psychotherapeutic approach, seem to that seems to explain some of the variants. Interesting. So, um, has it mattered at all what, how people interpret the spirituality of different religions or uh, anything of that nature? Yeah, it's a common question I get. The, the short answer is no. It doesn't seem to be a massive difference if people come in and they're, you know, Catholic or Protestant or Jewish or Muslim. Um, with that said, it's hard to tease apart those specific effects. Uh, I think when you're looking at patient populations, it's um, particularly challenging because, well, people from all those different groups do get depressed and do get anxious and do struggle, and then they come to McLean for help. So if you compare psychiatric patients who have different affiliations, you're not going to find much difference. Um, in the general population, though, those studies have been done and also not showing much difference. So in a nutshell, I don't think affiliation is the key variable. I think it's the way that people interact with their faith and use it as opposed to um, you know, which specific, uh, you know, where they, where they go to church, so to speak. Okay. And it is a change, you said, from uh, what's traditionally been done. Um, did you get any pushback from anyone regarding feared consequences or, or whether feared consequences that you were worried about as you uh, ramped up this program? Yeah, it's interesting. In the first, in the early days of this, there was quite a bit of pushback. Uh, I remember some of the psychiatric nurses being quite up in arms that we were, you know, considering t talking to patients about spirituality. What if it, they decompensate? What if they have uh, religious psychosis? Is it going to make them worse? Is it going to, are people going to be fighting with each other in the middle of group over religious themes? And, and you know, we, we, we did uh, proceed very cautiously at first and really uh, built this from the ground up. A lot of proof of concept, a lot of sampling of our patients, observing them you know, uh, looking for any signs of, of and, and none of those negative consequences occurred. In fact, in the provision of all of the spirit groups and all the patients that we've had, we haven't had a single adverse event. So I, I would say that's a pretty good track record. Wonderful. Um, so as you know, this uh, podcast is uh, sponsored by the Coalition for Physician Wellbeing. So I'm, I'm going to have to ask you to speculate a bit. Um, in terms of uh, clinician well-being in general, um, what are your thoughts in terms of uh, 
uh, incorporating spirituality into uh, the well-being discussion? It's a great question. Um, I think that um, for a lot of individuals, whether they are physicians or clinicians or, or, or not, um, spirituality can be a real resource. You know, it can uh, set us up to uh, deal with adversity, to deal with uncertainty, to uh, understand that we don't always have to be in the know, we don't always have to be in control, and to let go to some degree. Because if there's a sense that, well, there's something greater, that can help people to um, not be as obsessed or uh, stuck when things aren't either going our way or when, um, you know, adversity uh, strikes or when there's uncertainty. We certainly saw that over the last, over the last year, um, with, uh, with the court, with the, uh, the pandemic. Can you say more about that? What was about the pandemic? Yeah. How the pandemic and, and, and your, how did your work relate to the pandemic? I'll explain. So, um, as I think I put this into the scientific American piece, in fact, that in the early days of the pandemic, there was a, a, a massive surge in the number of people who were using Google to search for different ways to pray. And uh, that's, that's a particularly interesting and novel way of, of, uh, of uh, curing and, and uh, a trend of gravitating towards spirituality during times of crisis, during times of uncertainty. And uh, the, the, the short uh, uh, description of what goes on there, this spiritual resources can help people to um, see things within a greater framework, to cope with uncertainty and to get to a place of acceptance, to um, not need to be in the know or in control all the time. Did you happen to have through your experiences, I know it's an inpatient ward, uh, some of patients who were caregivers and how spirituality related to uh, their progress? I'd have to think about that a little more for specific examples, but I do know, I will tell you this, that a lot of the caregivers on our, on our units, a lot of the uh, staff have been um, have gravitated towards chaplaincy. A couple of years ago, my program at McLean was uh, fortunate to receive a grant to have chaplaincy, to bring chaplaincy back. Chaplains were actually furloughed here at McLean during the 1980s, during an economic down, downturn. And, um, they uh, were brought back this uh, I think it's three, four years ago now, not only to service patients, but also to service clinicians. And uh, our clinicians do uh, seek out support from the chaplain in a discreet manner, you know, just in the hallway. Hey, you know, can you can you help me out? And uh, speaking to with her about um, either spiritual issues or their own stresses or their life in different ways. So how is this, uh, you're starting within McLean Hospital, what do you see this, what do you see the trend over time? Do you see uh, it progressing uh, more, more broadly or what, what, what's your vision? It's a great question. Maybe just one more point on uh, clinicians, Please. Uh, if I could speculate a little bit further. I think in some respects, uh, medical professionals, there's a little bit of stigma and shame in, in certain, uh, certainly in certain fields, certainly in subfields like uh, us up here in the Northeast. Um, who are in in the medical field um, uh, for when it comes to spirituality. And I, and I don't think that's served us well. I think that there are a lot of aspects of spirituality that can promote humility, that can promote a sense that we don't always, you know, have to know all the answers to everything. And, and there can be aspects of life that we don't know. There can be questions we can, and we can, you know, survive that. There's also other uh, traits like gratitude or um, a sense of meaning making and a sense of purpose that what we do having bringing a sense of spiritual purpose to work 
can greatly enhance people's uh, sense of pride in their work. And not only that, but also potentially the effort that they bring to it and ultimately the care that they provide. And I think that, you know, the, the stigma and shame that we have coming out of, you know, uh, science backgrounds, this old, you know, old age old discussion of whether science is compatible with religion. I don't think it, it fares. I don't think it sets us up well as a profession. And I think, um, it, you know, it's important for clinicians to be aware of that and to, you know, allow themselves to um, seek out spirituality if it's something that they want, you know, regardless of, uh, of what anyone else thinks. So in some ways, what you're saying is that there's a culture against uh, religious thought, especially in different subgroups of, uh, of of healthcare. And by bringing it up, you're basically saying that it's okay. And for those who do draw their strength from it, um, you're being accepting of one part of them as, as you would be in other parts of, of who they are. Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. And fortunately, we have examples of that. You know, Francis Collins, the director of the National Institutes of Health, um, he's uh, publicly come out and spoken about his faith, his own his own Christian faith, and how it enhances his uh, sense of appreciation for biology, for human biology, um, even for aspects of uh, of evolution from his perspective. And um, you know, seeking uh, he he, from what I understand, he um, you know believes it made him a better scientist. Um, and I've heard uh, clinicians say the same thing about their clinical practices. So in terms of uh, advising people who deal with physician wellness, is there any uh, nuggets you want to say in terms of how to bring it up or how not to bring up uh, uh, spiritual issues? With patients uh, or with, uh, with clinicians? With clinicians who are basically uh, maybe uh, uh, not at their best, uh, maybe feeling a little burnt out. What's the, what, what are some thoughts about addressing it? And not so much, it sounds like your work says to address it. I'm trying to get more of uh, how to do it or how not to do it. Yeah, those are great questions. You know, one of the first questions I would ask a clinician is, why do you do what you do? What's the meaning behind it? What's the aim that you're you're aiming for? What are you, with the goal that you're aiming for? What are you really seeking? Does that have a higher order purpose? Is it something that's perhaps more mundane? But focusing on those whys, as opposed to the hows, those can definitely help expand our framework, expand our, our, our thinking, and uh, bringing that in the day-to-day of our stressful work can make a big difference. Okay, and does that generally lead to a spiritual discussion, or what, what do you what do you tend to find? It can, in many cases. Some, in many cases, uh, meaning making is spiritual. In many cases, it is not, and it depends on the individual. So, for some people, they see a sacred purpose and a sacred meaning in what they do. They think it serves a, like I said, a higher order purpose. And other individuals like the idea that they are just making the lives better of people around them. Either way, connecting with those higher order, well, not even higher order, connect, connecting with the meaning and the purpose behind what we're doing um, can, be, can be a big uh, uh, resource to us. And how about for those who have the, um, have the meaning, but then their frustrations with uh, not fulfilling what their vision of what they're trying to accomplish? Is there something? In- yeah, that's always a, that it's always a hard, a hard situation, you know, to, to that, uh, the, the concept of acceptance is definitely uh, one that comes to mind. Um, the idea that uh, when we fight against that which we cannot change, it actually makes it worse, which is uh, it's a common uh, Buddhist principle. We find it in other faiths as well. But uh, when, when we fight against that which we cannot change, we, we tend to make it worse. And, uh, and conversely, when we accept that certain things cannot be changed, at least not now, 
Um, it's not a very medical approach, but sometimes, you know, there's that, uh, you know, taking, taking a different tact, a more, if you will, Zen attack, Zen tact to, to life, um, can, can really, um, help us to settle down and then change the things that we can. So this is quite a journey you've been on. Uh, when you became a psychologist, did you recognize that this was where you wanted your career to go or did you discover this along the way? Uh, I would say that I wanted it to go this career, this, this my career to go in this, uh, in this uh, route. And I never imagined that it actually could. I, at many points along the way, I just kept trying and pushing and hoping that, you know, one day there would be enough funding, recognition, opportunity to be able to do this kind of work. And I've just been very, very blessed and fortunate along the way to have, uh, to have uh, allies who have helped me to have, uh, you know, champions of, uh, of my cause supporters in my corner and, uh, and, uh, above all the, uh, just the good luck to be able to, um, to, to, to see things materialize. Did you have a moment early on where you recognized that this was your direction? I mean, because before you're a, th- a therapist, I, it must be hard to know that this, this is a need. But after you got into it, did you discover it at that point, or how did how did it happen? Oh, I was fairly, I was aware fairly early on that you know, being um, just seeing the way that religion and spirituality were spoken about, or and also the way that they weren't spoken about, the fact that. You know, many patients, just knowing the demographics, are so uh, deeply uh, faithful, uh, spiritual, um, uh, filled with belief, yet it's not the kind of thing that, you know, a typical graduate student or, or psychiatrist will, will get, you know, hardly, a, hardly an, a single hour of didactic training in how to talk to patients about spirituality, yet it's something, you know, that's just such a, yet it's something that's so common. That's such, such a glaring disparity. Um, so you don't need, you don't need a PhD to figure that one out. <laughs> well, we're getting, coming close to the half hour mark. I want to know if you have any, uh, closing thoughts or reflections you'd like to share with the audience. Uh, sure. I guess I'll just share this, that, you know, of all the mental health, uh, treatment programs that are available to individuals around the world, the most common, the most widely utilized. Well, actually, uh, Michael, do you know what that is? Um, is that a, a spiritual provider? Well, n- uh, no, it's, well, it is um, to some degree. It's AA. It's the 12-step program. Oh, oh, interesting. Uh, Alcoholics okay. Anonymous, Nar- Narcotics Anonymous, and, and, and company. And uh, I don't know if you know much about 12-step, but sure. they are um, fully based in, in a spiritual concept. The first step is, is to you know, accept uh, that there's a, a, a higher being, a higher force, um, a higher power is the language. Um, and, uh, this is the kind of treatment that has really, uh, grassroots, uh, you know, it's been the most widely disseminated, uh, service, um, which accounts for well more than 50% of recovery, uh, in the United States alone. Um, and, uh, I, I think it's important for us to recognize how many people gravitate towards this area. Um, and, uh, these can be very powerful, uh, resources that we can use in order to shape our own emotional experience as clinicians and also those of our patients. Right. And and you're not saying that as a first step in therapy, you have to accept spirituality, but for so many no, people... No, uh, not necessarily. Right. Um, definitely not necessarily. But for many people, it is, it is, an, it is an appropriate approach. And uh, when that's the case, then I, I think we should uh, go there with our patients. Wonderful. 
Well, thank you, David. This has been very enlightening. I want to thank you for being on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. Appreciate the opportunity. Well, that's our show for today. I want to thank Dr. David Rossmarin for joining us today and for sharing both his insights and personal stories. If you wish to learn more about the Coalition, please visit our website at www.4physicianwellbeing.org. You can also check us out on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. I also want to thank our volunteers and the staff from the Coalition who made this podcast possible. Finally, I'd like to thank ACESIS, A-C-E-S-I-S, Incorporated, for sponsoring my time working on this podcast. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the host and his guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Coalition for Physician Wellbeing, its board, or other members of the Coalition. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Brown, wishing our caregivers out there meaning, purpose, and joy in the practice of medicine. Together we are stronger. Until next time. <laughs>